Hello friend, this is Chuck Lynch, President of Living Foundation, Living Foundation Ministries, and uh, I'd like to thank you for joining me in this journey on this tape of correcting unhealthy anger. Now, this is just going to be a survey. This is not, we're not going to solve and fix every angry situation that you have ever run into, but our, our narrow focus on this tape is just to identify what are the unhealthy uses of anger. You see, anger is probably one of the strongest human emotions I know of. It can destroy relationships probably faster than anything I know of. But we probably need to just step back for a minute and understand that, that God really designed all of our emotions. Emotions in themselves are not bad. In fact, you know, emotions add color to life like the, the multicolored rainbow. In fact, they can make life rich, they can make it full, but then there's the other side. God designing emotions can be used in an unhealthy manner. And one such emotion is anger. You know, God designed the emotion of anger. It's his idea. And it, it in itself is not bad. In fact, even God expresses this emotion. God warned, warned Israel that if they afflict any widows or orphans, and these widows and orphans cry out to him, he will surely hear their cry. And he says in Exodus 22-24, My anger will be kindled, and I will kill you with a sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. You see, God-designing emotions can be used in unhealthy ways, especially in relationship with others. Now, our goal of this tape, again, is to survey seven unhealthy uses of anger and then how to correct them. And then, if you're the one that they're being acted upon, what you can do in response. So, again, this is only a survey. First, we're going to describe the unhealthy uses of anger in a, in a kind of a limited way. And then, we're going to look at how the ones who are expressing the anger, what they can do. If they see it, they want to correct it. And then probably you're the one listening to this tape and you're saying, well, <laughs> I am the one that this anger is being acted upon. Well, then what are some healthy responses you can do towards an angry person? Again, this is only a survey. You say, well, why is this important to know the reason a person is using inappropriate anger, even though uh, you may not be able to stop its use? Well, the simple answer to that is that all behavior, you know, my behavior, uh, your behavior, is uh, really reward-based. And one of the reasons that the angry pattern continues is because its recipients reward the inappropriate behavior. Why? Well, because all behavior, your behavior, my behavior, has a desire for benefit. We, we want to re do things for a benefit or gain. And then we have a fear of loss. Others have called it a, a desire for my gain, a fear of my loss, and things like that. But when the gain of the anger is reduced, when either you do it or someone else does it, in terms of reducing the gain, then their loss is increased. And the possibility of change then increases. You see, when the angry person does not get the intended benefit from his or her anger, he has to change. Now, I'll warn you, the change may be to another unhealthy tactic, but at least he knows unhealthy anger does not work. And needs to be, and something needs to be done differently. 
If I know that there, there's no, no ice cream in the refrigerator, I may go there half a dozen times and finally I'll stop going because I'm not rewarded with ice cream. Okay, what are at least seven unhealthy uses of anger? And then, and then what can you do if you're doing it? And then what can you do to respond if it's being done to you? Now, what are the seven? Real simple. Number one, an unhealthy use now is to change another person's behavior. You get angry to change another person's behavior. Second, to control another person, to control another person. Next, to manipulate, and that could be used in the first two as well, but to manipulate someone. Next, to avoid negative emotions. You may get angry to avoid fear, for example. Five, to avoid responsibility. Get angry so you don't have to do the responsibility. In fact, you may get angry, number six, just to remove an obstacle of your selfishness. You want to accomplish something selfishly, and so you get angry to get it done. Then maybe you use anger to exact revenge. And I don't mean you go around hurting someone physically, but you just stay angry, angry at them because continued anger is a form of revenge. Okay, let's look at the first one real quickly, okay? The unhealthy use of anger to change another person. Now, what does that look like? Kind of an apparent-child relationship. A parent may use anger to try and stop the child from doing something. Or out of exasperation, maybe as a parent, you get angry just to get them to do something. You may result to yelling or, or screaming or oh, sarcasm, gritting your teeth, a number of things like that. Maybe, a, maybe, maybe in a husband and wife relationship, we want to try and get a spouse to do something, maybe to stop to do something, so we get angry to try to accomplish that. See, often an angry person will marry a compliant pleaser who is terrified by anger. And actually, they have children who are terrified by it too. What's the result? The fearful one or ones begin to walk figuratively on eggs in an attempt to appease or to prevent any, any further angry outbursts. But in reality, what's really happening? This is one form of rewarding the angry person. You know, you egg walkers assume responsibility to prevent or even to control the other person's anger. And frankly, that is not your responsibility to control it because it is not about you. Their anger is not about you. You know, maybe in an employer, employee, a coworker situation where they will try to get one to do something and get them to accomplish a task. Now, this is fear management by angry intimidation. And any change brought about by anger is only temporary and frankly, only sows further rebellion. Well, <laughs> if I'm the one that's doing this, how can I change? How can I change? You know, if I was talking to you personally, when I, one of the first things I'd encourage you to, to, to realize is to, to get a grip. Realize it is God's responsibility. It's God's responsibility to ultimately change anyone. It is not yours. You know, Philippians uh, 2, 12, and 13, two real awesome verses. The last part here says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. No big deal. But then he explains why. For it is God who is at work in you, both to, to will and to work or to do for his good pleasure. Philippians 1, 16, I, Paul says, Look, I'm confident of this very thing, 
then he who began a good work in you will perfect it. And by the way, notice how long God's willing to work with us until the day of Christ Jesus. Friend, God never gives you, <laughs> never gives me either, the responsibility, power, or ability to do what is uniquely in his circle of responsibility. Now understand, you can have an influence. That's not, that's not the problem here. You, you, in terms of, of your life affecting people, you can have an influence. But God alone is the one who can really affect the lasting change. And that's why Paul, after talking about some of the heaviest doctrine that, that we've had in the New Testament, at the end of the 11 chapters of Romans, when he begins the first uh, verse of the 12th chapter, says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. He didn't command them. He urged, he appealed to them at this point. But note, he could have ordered them because he chose to urge them because he knew something. Paul knew that long-term change must ultimately come from the inside out, not the outside in. And also, friend, I would, I would try to get you to understand that your unhealthy anger, it never, 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 never produces godly character in anyone. If godly character is your gold, it will never happen. No one in my 40-plus years of ministry have said, I am a godly person today because I was managed and raised on anger. Now, maybe if you responded in a godly way to someone's inappropriate anger, you're a godly person. That's different. You see, you may get, in, get immediate compliance, but you will reap long, long-range uh, long rebellion or alienation. Uh, whether it's in your kids and your mate, and it just breaks your heart. That's why James 1, 19 and 20 says, So then, my brethren, let each man, each parent, spouse, or kid, or a boss and an employee, be, be swift to hear. Be, be slow to speak. Uh, slow to wrath. Why? For the anger, or abiding anger, does not produce. It does not work out the righteousness of God in another person or the righteous life that God desires. Often in an angry state of mind, God is, <laughs> God is factored out. God is factored out anyway, and then the evil one is now unconsciously factored in. I mean, what are, what are you talking about? Well, Ephesians uh, 4, 26-27 says, you know, be angry but do not sin. Now the word anger there, you know, you can be provoked, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath or give place or opportunity to the evil one through your anger. You see, Satan, this is sad though, he often trailer hitches onto your anger. And when he trailers hitches onto your anger, he would like to kill this person or steal for them their self-worth or value destroy them that they may lose heart the rest of their life. You see that in John 10.10. 10. You may think that you're just trying to, to, to change someone. That's, that's your whole focus, to change. But dear friend, Satan's agenda is so much more destructive than you ever intended and honestly, more than you ever imagined. This explains James' description of the, of the destructive use of the tongue. James 3.6, he says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. 
The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature or existence. And you know where it gets its energy? It is set on by the fire of hell. The fire of hell from old pitchfork. The, the word course or cycles of life, it destroys a person at every stage of his or her life. And can I just inject something here, friend? The more angry you get, the dumber you act. The more angry you get, the more dumber you act. Because anger is a strong emotion that blocks out the spirit, it blocks out the mind. And that's the reason after a person has done something foolishly in anger, they'll just say, I did a very stupid thing. Now that's their words, not mine. So remember that, that the increase of anger is it has a, not only a numbing effect and a damning effect, but also has a very dumbing effect on our mind. Also, I'd share with you that I would encourage you to realize that, that the change attempted to be made by the use of anger is usually based, here we go, on selfish motives. On selfish motives. Unhealthy anger is a, is a selfish effort to try and shape or mold or even conform another person to what, to what we think they should look like or act like, honestly, instead of God's image. Remember, anger-based changes are not under the influence of God's Holy Spirit, friend. They're just not. But selfish, flesh-based energy. And Paul in Galatians 5, 19 and 20 spells out what the works of the flesh are. And one of the works of the flesh, selfish energy, or outbursts of wrath or anger. Remember, it is God's job. It is God's job, God's responsibility to ultimately change anyone. And furthermore, anger does not produce the, this uh, righteousness. Therefore, if righteousness is not being produced, then the question is, well, what is? You know what's really being produced? Rebellion, bitter compliance, and resentment. You see, a task can be accomplished through anger. You can get the job done, but the fruit of the anger will be a crop of relational pain for generations, friend, and you will live to see it, probably. Finally, I'd share with you, I'd encourage you to acknowledge verbally, you know, with your words, to those that you have, that have been the recipients of your, your anger change pattern, you acknowledge to them that you were wrong for the unhealthy use of anger. In fact, even use those words, I was wrong. The next... Next to the hard thing, ask for their forgiveness. You say, inform them that you, that, that you, from this point on, you want to treat them with respect, with dignity. And then I would encourage you to declare your hope to be a godly influence in their lives, that you purpose to learn how to communicate in a more, in a more healthy manner, and even purpose in their presence to change your own selfish heart. We've just illustrated, friend, the beam and the speck analogy in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, where Jesus says, first take the beam out of your own eye, then you see clearly the speck that's in your brother's eye. Say, well, but what, what if, <laughs> Chuck, what if this is being done to me? 
How can I respond? Well, could I offer a very strong suggestion? I would stop today. I'd stop reinforcing any perceived benefits of their anger. Perceived benefits. They think it's a benefit by being angry. You see, unrewarded behavior tends to lose its meaning. Sometimes with tantrums. And again, I, I don't want to get into the whole area of discipline of children, but when a child learns that their tantrum does not change you or your decisions, after a while they have to come up with another tactic. But you caving in to anger now will only cause you, later on, to crumble inside. And friend, I don't think you want that to happen. So, so stop reinforcing their benefits. And then secondly, start doing something. Start responding with a soft, and I'm going to add another word here, firm. Get that? Firm voice. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft, gentle answer or response turns away wrath or anger, but a harsh word or response stirs up anger. Proverbs 25.15 says, By long forbearance a ruler is persuaded, and a gentle tongue or a voice breaks a hard bone. That's quite a word picture. You see, it can accomplish far more than the loss of temper and harsh words. The figure of speech that, that uh, is used here to break a bone means that a soft, firm, spoken word can accomplish many difficult things. First Peter 2.23, when Jesus was being reviled or verbally assaulted, he did not revile in return. He didn't retaliate. Why? Because it did not accomplish his long-range goals. First Peter 3.9 says, look, do not, re do not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you have been called to do this and that you may inherit a blessing. In other words, reduce the fuel in the fire yourself. Proverbs 26, 20 says, where there is no wood, duh, the fire goes out. Stay focused. Remember that anger, or the absence of anger, does not stop or change you from acting and responding in a Christ-like manner. It's always appropriate, I know it's hard though, it's always appropriate to act Christ-like when the other person acts like the devil incarnate. Please just be yourself in Christ. Or another way of saying it, let Christ be himself in you. True, make appropriate changes in yourself when and where legitimate, that, that's okay. That's important. But if their anger is designed to threaten you with loss, you may have to ask yourself, honestly, in the light of eternity, how significant is that loss? And then remind yourself that their anger is not from God, but from their own selfishness. And that selfishness is energized by the evil one. And this is a spiritual battle or conflict. Therefore, arm yourselves with God's armor, as defined in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. By the way, don't inform them that you realize that, that they're not the problem. This is just a spiritual battle. It's really not them. That's God's job. In fact, that might add fuel to the fire. And remember, God who uses anger, uh, people who use anger to change others' behavior, uh, or opinions, or personality, they have been rewarded by you in the past, so they continue to do it. Or they may have seen it work in their family of origin. 
In fact, I've had people stop rewarding the angry person's immature, immaturity, and it drives that immature person crazy. In fact, they even claim, complain to me in a counseling situation that their mate's no fun because they don't get, hecked and get, don't get hooked into the dance of anger and a dysfunctional communication game. So this gives you an idea of, of when anger is being used to change you. But let's shift real quickly over to when anger is used to control somebody, to control somebody. What does this look like? Well, one who uses anger to control is often fear-based themselves. Do you know what their managing emotion is? Fear. That is the reason fear-based people are not very loving. Well, why aren't fear-based people very loving? Well, because love pushes out fear, 1 John 4.18. But just the opposite is true, too. Fear pushes out love. You know, worry, fearfulness, or anxious people have a difficult time expressing love. Why is that the case? Because uh, fear wraps them up in themselves. Love wraps you and me up in others. The anger des uh, designed to control comes from one who has experienced probably some, some loss or some pain in the past, and, and they just do not want to refill this pain or re-experience this loss again. He may be totally managed by fear, and if he's totally managed by fear or predominantly managed by fear, he's not managed by faith. And God calls that sin. Romans 14, 23 says, Whatever is not of faith is sin. An angry controller usually controls emotionally sensitive or, or even weaker persons who are emotionally dependent on the controller. And often, you know something? Often the anger, anger levels in direct proportion is in direct proportion to their need to control. The need to control is in direct proportion to the intensity of the fear. That's why, you know, control-based people are <laughs> emotionally between oh, three to seven years old. They may have adult bodies, but they're controlled by a, a very childlike emotion. Their deepest fear is probably something you may not be aware of, but their deepest fear may be that of the fear of abandonment or being alone which is really a childhood emotion. It's, it's really an adult emotion. Why? Because adults know the scripture, I will never leave you or forsake you. And they'll say, I know this in my head, but down in my heart I don't feel it. You see, people instead of God are given the responsibility to provide for their security. And that's why they have to control them. And they control them with anger. They tend uh, to be opinionated because... Acknowledging another person's opinion could mean a loss of control. They are never wrong because that would give others power and loss of control. Control of people, places, and things. You know, is there a substitute for having, having self-control under the power of the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5, 23. In fact, we have a New Testament illustration of this. Diotrephes in 3 John 9 and 10. Example of fear-based anger controller. And the anger really is frightening to others, so they just cave in to the angry controller. 
but angry controllers tend to be authoritarian. As a result, they tend to use excessive control. In fact, the scripture calls it lording it over another, which is strictly, friend, is strictly forbidden by God. In fact, God says to his shepherds in 1 Peter 5, 2, uh, 5, 2 and 3, that they're not to be uh, being lords or masters over those that are entrusted to them. But you know what they're supposed to be? <laughs> they're supposed to be examples to the flock. But dear friend, when you fail to when you're failing to be an example, you'll result, excuse me, resort to fear-based control. Well then, what can I do if uh, uh, if I'm the one that's doing this and I, I'm I'm fear-based and I'm controlling people through my anger because of my fear? What can I do? Well, you know the first thing I'd, I'd share with you, I'd have you honestly admit that you are a fear-based controller. Yeah, start right there. That, that, because God only gives grace for the truth. So if you start there, then that will give you a good starting place. And then you know what I'd suggest you do? Then I would discover where the world is fear is coming from. Well, just how, you say, how do you do that? Well, just ask God to take you back to the point or to the event where it started. Psalm 139, 23-24 says, Search me, O God. You know, know my heart. Try and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful or ways of pain in me that lead me in the everlasting way. In fact, we have a tape here in the office. It, it, uh, it's called uh, How to End the Control of Negative Emotions. You might want to make yourself available to that tape. So I, I discover where this fear is coming from. And then you know what I do? I would honestly admit to God even admit to yourself that people, places, and things are not the source of your ultimate security. Psalm you know, 93, 25 says, Frankly, who have I in heaven but you? And, and there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. Paul says, and for me to live, not people, or places or things, or positions, but for me to live really is Christ. And then to a do a hard thing. Go back and release others from the imposed responsibility to make you secure, to make you happy. It's time for you to do that. Your mates, your kids, your friends, your church members, your employees, your employers are not responsible for your security and happiness. And then, then allow yourself to learn the, uh, that the adult pains of life that you will experience are not so shattering to you that <laughs> as you feared them to be. You know, 2 Corinthians 1.4 is good at this point. It talks about who comforts you and I, comforts us in all of our afflictions. Why? So we may be able, so we may be able to, to comfort those who are in any affliction, with affliction with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know, avoiding fears is one source of mental breakdowns. But embracing the fear, walking through it, you'll find incredible grace there. And then I would also suggest, friend, that you convert, that's right, you convert your immature faith into a healthy, mature, your immature fear, I'm sorry, your immature fear into a healthy, mature faith. Just walk up to that old monster of fear and kiss it on the nose. Because quite often, what you and I fear does not come to pass. Furthermore, remember that the comfort zones. Now, comfort zones 
are defined by fear, not faith. When someone says, that's just not in my comfort zone, they're just saying that my fear will not let me do something. Now, God may be using people, true, He may be using people or places, um, circumstances, um, things, just, just to get you out of the prison of fear, <laughs> frankly, into a little paradise of faith because there's rich blessings there. Jesus was always testing his disciples to act and think outside of their comfort zones. In fact, Jesus tested Philip at the feeding of the 5,000 in John 6, 6. And it says, But this he, Jesus, said to test him, Philip, for he himself knew what he would do, what Jesus would do. And God tested Israel in Deuteronomy 8, 2 and verse 16 as well. And then, friend, you know, if you're controlling people in the past through your anger, you know, go to those that you've wounded, especially those you've wounded emotionally by your anger, uh, which you've used to control them, and just, just say to them, look, um, my fear is about me, not about you. It's, 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 it's my problem. It's not your problem. It has always been my problem, and it's never been your problem. And then and that's hard to admit. I understand that. But confess you were wrong in an attempt to control them by emotionally hurting them and through your anger. And then, friends, step up to the plate and ask for forgiveness. First John 1 9, if we confess our sins, hopefully they will do what God does and, and forgive you. And you really need a purpose to grow up, but friend, just grow up. Grow up in Christ and be a mature person of faith, not of fear. So, Chuck, but what? <laughs> What do I do if I am the one that this is being acted out upon me? Well, one of the first things I'd say to you, I've already said it before. Remember, the angry controller is acting out of his fear. It's a fear issue, not a faith issue. He may use Scripture to control you, but it's usually an abuse of Scripture. That's why many control freaks use submission, especially men. Submission is an appropriate thing, but submission without sacrifice doesn't work in a relationship. It's two wings of an airplane. One submission, one is sacrifice. You take one of those off and that puppy's going to crash and burn. And then, if this is being done to you, stop trying to fix him or stop trying to fix her. There is nothing you can do to fix him because this is a fear issue. It was there before you were. You're not the solution. You're not the problem. Now, you can support him or her effort, his or her efforts to get out but you've got to keep saying to yourself, I am not the problem. I am not the solution. Now, they will do everything possible to get you to think that you're the responsible one. They'll blame you. They'll blame shift on you. They'll blame you for things that make them feel fearful. It's your fault. But remember, that fear was there before you. And furthermore, do not reward the angry controller with your own compliant fear? That's right. Again, compliance only feeds their fear. Not complying will also increase their anger, by the way. Yep, not complying will also increase their anger. It can drive them to get appropriate help that will locate the source of the fear and work it out biblically. Usually, however, they just become more hurtful and subtle in their emotional abuse. That, unfortunately, that's normally what happens. You can pray that it won't, but it's probably what's going to happen. So, well, I don't want that to happen. Well, something else is going to happen just as bad, friend. And by the way, 
do not accept on yourself the responsibility he or she blames shifts onto you. It's not your fault. You got that doesn't mean you're perfect, but remember this fear-based anger control program was there before you. Their goal is to decrease their responsibility and increase yours, so that's always your fault. That's one of the sick patterns. And that's why you have to view the angry controller as one who is emotionally wounded. They really are. They're emotionally wounded and very, very immature. You know, they can be successful in many of their other areas of life and careers, but they're not doing too well in close relationships. They can function well professionally in their jobs. You know, I've had medical uh, doctors, I've had school teachers, uh, computer people do well in their careers and say, why is it I, I always get along with people out there but not with people in my home? It's because you're not emotionally connected to people out there as you're connected emotionally to those at home. You're more vulnerable there at home. And then I would suggest get appropriate support for yourself. Pastor, friend, Christian counselor. You need to have someone outside of the relationship to give you reality checks because the goal of the angry controller is to distort or pervert your reality to match his distorted reality. Then, then make a shift in your own heart from a pattern of getting your emotional needs met from an angry controller to getting your total acceptance from your personal relationship with Jesus Christ because most compliant, compli <laughs> compliant pleasers are trying to get acceptance and approval through this other person. You know, most people being controlled by anger are an emotionally dependent relationship and are afraid of being rejected by the emotionally handicapped anger controller. It's just like the scripture says that controllers, in a sense, the controller is a, is a, is a broken cistern. In Jeremiah 2.13, a beautiful word picture, he says, For my people have committed two evils. Well, what are they? Well, they have forsaken me, okay, the fountain of living waters. Well, what else, what have they done then? Well, then they've hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, cisterns that can hold no water. They have replaced the true God for false idols. People who are really emotionally dependent on others have exchanged the holy God, the one, the fountain of living waters. And they've hewn for themselves broken cisterns, false relationship idols. And finally, again, only assume what is in your own circle of responsibility. I, I emphasize this a lot in our book, You Can Work It Out by Word Publishers. You might want to get that resource. But only assume what's your circle of responsibility. So we've talked about using anger to control. How about using anger to manipulate, to use anger to manipulate. Well, what would that look like? Well, anger as a tool of manipulation combines both a desire to change and desire to control others. It kind of combines both of them. Angry manipulators usually have an evil intent. Why? <laughs> Again, it's based on their selfishness. The Apostle Paul explains spiritual manipulation to the Galatians who are being manipulated into pride-based perfectionism. Galatians 3, 1 through 3 says, O foolish Galatians, hello, who has bewitched you or manipulated you with an evil eye? That's what that word bewitched means. Before whose eyes Christ Jesus was portrayed publicly 
was crucified. But he says, hey, this is one thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? You are so foolish. Having begun by faith, are you now being perfected or manipulated into perfection by the flesh? You see, it's a selfish effort to use anger to manage, to control, or to, to shrewdly influence to get one to do something they, uh, they want them to do their way and for their benefit. Your needs are totally irrelevant. You know, that, that is hard to accept right there. Your needs, the, the manipulator that's doing this to you, your needs, the one that's being manipulated, your needs are totally irrelevant. In fact, God has factored out. Well, why is God factored out? Well, God does not manipulate. Well, what does God do? He guides and leads by His Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Manipulation avoids an open, honest discussion. But what does it do? It uses strong emotion to bring about a selfish compliance. Well, Chuck, what would you tell me if I was the one that was a manipulator and using anger to manipulate others? Well, the first thing I'd say to you, as I've said to the other, the other people, admit to yourself that you use angry manipulation to get your selfish way. You've got to start there. If you don't believe it's broken, you won't put a cast on. Acknowledge that, that, that this is an evil tactic. It needs to be renounced. It needs to be repented of. You know, Satan used evil manipulation with Eve in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, 1 through 7. What you need to do, friend, is to admit to yourself that this is a form of emotional abuse attempting to accomplish your own selfish ends or their own selfish ends. And then you've got to do another hard thing. Step up the plate and confess your sin of manipulation to those that you have hurt and ask for their forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. And then ask God to do something for you. Ask God to reveal to you what, what you need, what needs you're attempting to get met through your anger and discover how to get that legitimate need met that you're meeting illegitimately. You may have a legitimate need. I'm not going to argue with you about that. But maybe discover what that legitimate need is and then get a, explore ways of getting that need met legitimately. And then please replace anger manipulation with something that might be new to you with honest, open discussion based on mutual respect and not subtle, angry manipulation. If this is a lifelong pattern, you've been doing it all your life, then ask God to show you where you learned it and forgive those who either taught it to you or set you up to practice, practice it as, as a means of, of just getting your own way. And then, friend, I would strongly suggest that you affirm to others that you now desire for them to be led by God's Spirit and not, and not by your angry manipulation. Request their prayer. Make yourself accountable to them. That'll be a tremendous first start. And get some appropriate help again from a pastor, a counselor, someone that you have confidence in.
well, what do you do if, if there's someone's trying to manipulate me with anger? Well, <laughs> here is that, here's that statement again. Do not reward an angry manipulator with your compliant behavior. If you reward it, it will continue. You know, using compliance or rewarding is done out of fear and not out of ignorance on how to respond. Usually, our, our compliance, we usually comply or reward it, we do it out of fear. Or maybe we don't even know what we should do. We're ignorant at this point. Well, they know you're afraid. And what they're doing, they're playing on your fear. That's sick. They get in touch with your fear and move you to their thing out of your fear and their selfishness. They may threaten divorce when they get, get angry. They may cut off money or withhold sex or custody of children or abandonment. There's all kinds of things in anger. Remember, the more angry you get, the dumber you act. In fact, they'll even use guilt. They use guilt, whether it's true guilt or false guilt. They'll just use it. Call them guilt trips. If you buy into guilt trips, you're the one that's a problem here. What they do is wrong, but if you buy into it, you're equally wrong. Then I would strongly suggest there on how to respond to this, respond to this angry manipulator. You just purpose within yourself to stop being led by their angry outbursts, or their subtle anger. And instead, you be led by God's Spirit. Romans 8.14, But for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, not some angry manipulator, these are the sons of God. Remember, emotionally dependent people are the easiest ones manipulated by an angry manipulator who may also use fear, guilt, and shame to do that. With gentle firmness, just point blank ask them, uh, is there something you're wanting from me or some need you want me to help meet? And, and reassure them that, that, you're, that you're, you're open to consider the request, you know, especially if it's appropriate. But you say, often this approach is met with uh, denial. Oh, I'm not doing that. Or manipulation <coughs> and further blame shifting. But, you know, it does bring the issue to the forefront, which is the last thing they really want to take place. They may deny they're even doing it. But you determine to do the right thing, friend. You determine to do the right thing regardless of their immature behavior. You may have to live with a loss when you do the right thing. But, but just remember, Jesus always did the right thing. And he was killed. But friend, uh, you may have to um, do another hard thing. You may have to forgive them. But may I suggest to you to distinguish two things. Forgiveness is what you must grant. But trust is what they must earn. And you will need to allow them to rebuild that trust and maybe take some baby steps to do that. Again, trust is not demanded. Anyone who demands that you trust them, don't. Because they've not earned it. Demanded trust is usually devoid of change and in and itself is motivated by fear. So we've talked about here how anger is used to manipulate here and this is wrong, it's not from God. The next one here, the fourth unhealthy use of anger, is to avoid negative emotions. 
You say, what in the world are you talking about here? Well, what are these negative emotions? Well, for example, guilt. If you express something to someone and they start feeling guilty, rather than say, hey, you know, I was wrong, you know what they'll do? They'll get angry because they don't want to feel the guilt. Well, it's true guilt, false guilt, they don't want to feel it. Or shame. You know, it's the feeling that something is bad within me and I, and I just don't want to feel bad. So if they don't want to feel bad, they'll get angry. Or if they're experiencing fear, fear of failure, loss, abandonment, anything like that, they'll get angry. Like some of the occasions, if, if, if a spouse confronts their mate for something they have done wrong, rather than acknowledge the wrong and apologize, they will get angry to avoid the feelings of guilt or shame. This pattern was, was, was illustrated by King David. When he was approached by Nathan the prophet, in 2 Samuel 12, 5-7, it says that then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And Nathan said, As the Lord lives, surely the, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he must make restitution for the lamb fourscore, because he did this thing and had no compassion. That's what David said when, when Nathan told him a story about the rich man taking the poor man's lamb. You know what Nathan did? Nathaniel? Nathan, I'm sorry, did. Nathan said to David, You are the man. And thus the Lord God of Israel. And then David finally went on and said, I, I, I have sinned. But you see, when David was feeling the guilt for his own sin, he shifted to anger, and he was ready to tear this rich man apart. But the anger was a cover-up for his guilt. Children often get angry when confronted. They're feeling guilty, they get angry. A person who is fear-based quite often shifts into anger. You know, the control is a result of fear. That's why we just said fear-based anger is usually the basis of a lot of domestic violence. A fearful person only feels the fear for a moment. You know what happens? They shift real quickly into anger to avoid the feelings of fear or to protect themselves. That's why a person say, well, this person just constantly is, gets angry. And I said, well, what was the emotion they had before they got angry? And after a lot of probing, you'll find out that there was fear there first. A person may shift from fear of failing to anger in order to change or uh, to control or, or even to manipulate a person who could cause them to fail or get in touch with their feelings of inadequacy. I've watched, I've watched parents over-control their children to keep the parent from ever feeling like a failure as a parent. 